Hey, little buddies, it's Uncle Rick from the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. I hope you're a member of my club. We have so much fun, and we learn so much cool stuff from these great books that I read, including the Bible. Um, today, we are reading from Heroes of Our Revolution by T.W. Hall. This book was published back in, let's see, back in, back in, back in, whoa, 1900, way over 100 years old. That's when you find the best books, isn't it? Reading from chapter two today about the War of Independence. Here we go. You can easily imagine, boy, that the king was not in a very good humor when he heard of the Boston Tea Party. He made preparations at once to punish Boston and all the Boston people. He had Lord North pass a bill in Parliament ordering that after the 18th of June, 1774, no person should load or unload any ship until the town apologized and paid for the tea which had been destroyed. He recalled Governor Hutchinson to England and sent General Gage from New York to be military governor and enforce the port bill. Even English vessels had to land their goods at Salem or Marblehead. This was a severe blow to the prosperity of Boston and of the entire Massachusetts colony. The wharves lay idle, the warehouses empty, merchants and traders had to stop business, which threw a great number of employees out of work. In addition to this, provisions grew scarce. They could not be obtained from the other colonies, as all freight was carried in those days by water. General Gage had another penalty to inflict upon the town also. He was ordered to carry out the Regulation Acts. These were orders of Parliament which quartered more troops upon the town, forbade the holding of town meetings without the consent of the governor, save once a year, and vested all the power of government in the governor and officers appointed by the king or the governor. The people now had something to struggle for more important than freedom from taxation. They were now denied rights that belonged to every Englishman. They got around the provision forbidding them to hold but one town meeting a year by adjourning that one meeting from time to time and thus making it last a year. Oh, that was clever. Then they got together the people of the entire colony, or rather their representatives, and adopted some declarations called the Suffolk Resolves. These declared that the people would obey a Continental Congress, and the people of Massachusetts invited the people of the other colonies to send delegates to a Continental Congress to be held in Philadelphia. All the colonies sent delegates except Georgia. The Congress met in September 1774. An address setting forth their grievances was sent to the king by this Congress of the colonies. Grievances, that means their complaints, the things they thought they were being treated wrong in was sent to the king by this Congress of the Colonies, and the delegates made an agreement to refuse to carry on any trade with Great Britain until their wrongs should be righted. The other colonies sympathized with the people of Boston in more practical ways, and sent them provisions whenever it was possible. All this alarmed General Gage, and he determined to seize all the gunpowder belonging to Massachusetts. Some he captured, together with two field pieces that were in Cambridge, Field pieces or cannons. He failed to get some powder that was stored in Salem, however. The colonists on their side foresaw war and began to prepare for it. Companies of militia were formed in every town and began to drill under the instruction of veterans of the French and Indian Wars. Alarm companies called Minutemen 
for the reason that they were to be ready at a minute's notice, held themselves ready to fight at any hour of the day or night. These were especially to guard the powder, arms, and food that was being collected for what we may now call the American Army, which was being formed in this haphazard but enthusiastic way. During the winter of 1774 and 75, a good supply of food and powder for the use of the men was collected at Worcester and Concord. Worcester is spelled Worcester, but in Massachusetts it's pronounced Worcester. I suppose that's the way they pronounce it in England, too. General Gage determined to destroy these stores. He sent two officers as scouts to study the best roads to Worcester and Concord. Oh, and up there they say Concord, not Concord. These scouts reported that at Concord, the Americans had 14 pieces of cannon and two mortars, besides stores of flour, fish, salt, rice, and a magazine of powder and cartridges. The cartridges to which they referred were probably sacks of powder for the cannon, as cartridges for muskets were unknown at the time. The brass cartridges with which you are familiar today were not used until comparatively recently. You will remember, boy, that the Boston Massacre occurred on March 5th. Now, the people of Boston held a meeting on every March 5th after that to keep the event in mind. The favorite orator in Boston at this time was Joseph Warren, one of the most brilliant men in Massachusetts, who was afterwards killed at Bunker Hill. Now, on March 5th, 1775, it was a dangerous proceeding to make a Boston Massacre oration. General Gage occupied the town with troops, and it was understood that there would be an attempt to keep Warren from speaking. A number of officers of the King's Army actually did attend the meeting at Old South Church, but Warren made his speech nevertheless, and Sam Adams and John Hancock, who afterwards was the first man to sign the Declaration of Independence, sat on the platform. The officers tried to interrupt Warren in his speech, and one of them held up some bullets in his hand to intimate that they were what the people might expect if they opposed the king any longer. But neither Warren nor the people were frightened. Things began to get warm for the more prominent of the patriots, however, and Sam Adams and Hancock were obliged to leave Boston and take refuge in Lexington. All knew that General Gage meant to capture the cannon and stores in Concord also. A number of mechanics, therefore, organized to watch the doings of the British and give information by messenger to the people of Lexington and Concord. One of these men was Paul Revere, a copperplate engraver who had been a lieutenant of artillery in the Provincial Army during the French and Indian Wars. On the 18th of April, the soldiers were seen moving from the common to the river. Word was sent to Warren, and he asked Paul Revere to warn the people of Lexington and tell Hancock and Adams of their danger. Revere had promised the Charlestown people that he would hang a signal from the Old North Church when the soldiers moved. One lantern would mean that they had passed out over the neck, this is Boston Neck, not Charlestown Neck, and two would mean that they were crossing the river in boats. He hung out the two lanterns, then hurried to his own boat and made direct for Charlestown. There he got a horse and rode out over Charlestown Neck toward Lexington and Concord, alarming the people as he went. The British horsemen were patrolling the road, but by taking a roundabout way, he escaped them and got safely to Lexington. Hancock wanted to stay and fight with the farmers, but Adams was wiser, and he knew that Hancock and himself were more necessary for other work. We belong to the cabinet, he said quietly, 
and by his persuasions and the entreaties of Dorothy Quincy, who was to be married to Hancock and who was in the house with Hancock's aunt, induced John to go to Woburn where they would be safe. In the meantime, Revere and two companions set out for Concord. Revere was captured on the way, but one of the messengers succeeded in getting to Concord. Thus the whole country round was alarmed. Captain Parker had command of the Americans at Lexington. He assembled his men, but when he learned that the British were still far away, he told his men to go and rest until called together again. They had loaded their guns, and for the sake of safety, just as we take a cartridge out of a gun today when it's not to be used, Captain Parker's militia fired a volley. This volley was heard by the British officers who had captured Paul Revere, and they took his horse and let him go. While Re Revere was dashing over Charlestown Neck, Gage's troops, about 900 grenadiers and light infantry, began marching from their landing place toward Lexington. They marched in silence and supposed themselves unnoticed. Suddenly they heard the firing of guns and the pealing of church bells. Their secret was out. Colonel Smith, who commanded the British, immediately sent back to Boston for reinforcements and sent Major Pitcairn with a small body of men on rapidly to Lexington. Pitcairn soon began meeting American scouts who had been sent forward to watch for the approach of the British. He captured all of these, save one Thaddeus Bowman, who eluded the soldiers and galloped back to Lexington to give the alarm that the British were near. Captain Parker had the drums sounded and gathered his men together. After his command had loaded their muskets with powder and ball, he delivered to them one of those characteristic short, sharp speeches so common with Americans. Don't fire, said he, unless fired upon. But if they mean to have a war, let it begin here. It began right there. Pitcairn waited for Colonel Smith to catch up with him. Then the entire body advanced against Captain Parker and his handful of men. "'Ye villains! Ye rebels! Disperse!' cried Pitcairn. A shot was fired by the British and followed by others. The Americans returned the fire. Then, being frightfully outnumbered, yeah, I believe it was about ten to one, in fact, they slowly retreated, still firing. Eight of them had been killed and ten wounded, but two Englishmen were wounded. The British gave three cheers and passed on to Concord, greatly elated. It was seven o'clock on a beautiful spring morning when the British entered Concord. It was a great day, this April 19th, 1775, boy. The greatest movement in the history of the world for the freedom of mankind began on this spring day in the pretty town of Concord, Massachusetts. The fruit trees were in the bloom, and the fields were already green with the growing grain. They looked more like a playground for children than a scene for a battle. And you know how happy and peaceful all people feel on an early spring morning. But the men of Concord were very tired this morning. They had been working all night removing and concealing stores. They got most of them out of harm's way. But the British found about 60 barrels of flour, which they split open, some wooden spoons and trenches, and three cannon. They burned the wooden articles and knocked the trunnions off the cannon. The trunnion of a canyon is the short cylindrical projection on either side, which rests on the carriage. So that meant that it had, just the barrel had to be carried by itself, I guess. They also found about 500 pounds of cannonballs, which they threw into the Concord Mill Pond, and into various wells. Then the British divided. 
Part of them remained to hold the bridge which crossed the Concord River, while another moved on to the house of Colonel Barrett, where they expected to find more supplies, and part remained in Concord. At Colonel Barrett's they found some wheels for gun carriages, and they were in the act of burning them when they heard firing at the bridge. They promptly hurried back. The Americans had formed on a hill and were attacking the bridge. The two parties united and retreated to the center of the town where they joined the third party. That would be the third party of the British. About noon, the British set off on their return to Boston. They had accomplished all they could, but it was not nearly as much as they had hoped to accomplish. By this time, the whole country was alarmed, and the country people had flocked from near and far. The roadsides along which the British marched were lined with Minutemen and militia, who crouched behind the famous stone walls of New England or dodged from tree to tree like Indians and kept up an incessant fire upon the British troops. The march soon became a retreat, and the English commander tried to protect his main body by sending out flankers on either side, just as we do in war in these days. But the flankers fought in vain. Every minute more patriots arrived, and their fire grew hotter and hotter. The British all the while were becoming more and more fatigued. The retreat soon became a rout, and the rout almost a panic. At Lexington, the panic became an actual fact. The regular troops, the pride of England, broke into a run. Their officers had to throw themselves in front and threaten death to the disobedient in order to restore any semblance of order. They were on the point of complete exhaustion when they were met by the reinforcements Colonel Smith had wisely asked for when he heard the pealing of the bells and the firing of the guns the night before. These reinforcements proved to be an entire brigade of British troops under the command of Lord Percy. They formed a hollow square, and the tired and beaten troops of Colonel Smith rushed within it and flung themselves on the ground to regain their breath. Now even Lord Percy became alarmed, and he cut the rest very short. The retreat was again taken up under much the same circumstances as before. The people of Charleston heard the sounds of the approaching guns. Messengers warned them of the cruelties of the British, who in a spirit of revenge were burning houses along the road and murdering the helpless inmates. Terrorized, the people of Charlestown fled out over the neck into the country. Pell-mell into the town ran the British, in great confusion, hunting for refuge from the awful storm of bullets the Americans were sending after them. They asked for shelter, and the selectmen of Charlestown agreed to prevent further pursuit, provided the British would not harm the town. Percy willingly agreed, and the pursuit was ended. The Americans set a guard on Charlestown Neck, and the next day the British crossed back to Boston. In the meantime, the news of the battle was being carried far and wide, and the roads leading to Boston were crowded with troops hastening to join the Patriot forces. The Battle of Lexington had opened the War of the Revolution. The farmers left their plowshares, the mechanics their tools, all grasped their guns and flocked to Cambridge. All night and all day they tramped the roads converging toward Boston. At Lexington, the British made their first attack on the Patriots. At the Concord Bridge, the Patriots made their first attack upon the British regulars, with the terrible effect, eventually, that we have seen. There is a monument upon the battlefield of Concord, upon which are carved four lines from a poem written by Ralph Waldo Emerson. By the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled, 
Here once the embattled farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world. And almost two and a half centuries later, America still stands as the bastion of freedom in the world. Everybody wants to go to America if they can because we have freedom and prosperity here. And the prosperity is brought about by the freedom. People being free to try whatever they want to try, and many of them succeed. So that's um, one of the blessings of living in America. Our religious freedom is an even greater blessing. Hope you never take our freedoms for granted, little buddies. I hope you'll always be a Christian patriot to the very day you die, as I intend to be myself. Well, it's time for me to leave you for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I love you boys and girls. I appreciate you listening to me, writing to me, staying in touch. You uh, come on back and see me sometime real soon, will you? Meanwhile, um, let me remind you, put God first in your life, be a patriotic American, and honor your father and your mother. So long, little buddies. Parents, if your kids love today's visit with Uncle Rick, know that they will love the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. The Uncle Rick Audiobook Club allows access to dozens more stories, both from the Bible and history, to help your kids learn about godly character. Here's what one parent had to say about the Uncle Rick Book Club. Uncle Rick products are such a delight to our family. Our kiddos listen nightly to the Bible stories and fall asleep listening to God's word. These Bible audios are such a super reinforcement to what we as parents already teach our children. They provide our kids with a kind, gentle voice, pointing them to obey God and his word. Thank you. That was from Shelley. You can access the Uncle Rick Book Club at UncleRickAudios.com. See you there.